Good. Well, as Liam mentioned, it's the beginning of a new series. Who do you think you are? And I thought I'd just say a couple of words of introduction as we start the new series together. Uh, if you know me about 20 years ago, um, then uh, you would have known me as a theological student studying up in North London. And I spent six months uh, as part of my studies looking at Psalm 139. And that was my dissertation. Uh, and so I set aside uh, half a year to look at that one chapter of, of, of the Bible. And as you know, Psalm 139 is, is, a, is a beautiful poem, and it talks about how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's beautiful. And um, it taught me a lot about the value of the human body, uh, the creative power of God, uh, the artistry uh, with which people are made. But at the same time that I was uh, studying Psalm 139, I became quite seriously ill. And I had to miss something like six or eight weeks of my studies. Um, and I had to go to hospital a few times. And, uh, and uh, there was uh, quite a lot of discomfort. And, and that sort of encapsulates, at least encapsulates in my mind, this sort of difficult relationship that we have with our bodies. I mean, on the one hand, we learn about them and they're so beautifully made. Um, and we can see that they're made by an artist, and, and yet sometimes they uh, cause us difficulty, they cause us pain, they let us down. Sometimes we have to spend a considerable amount of time looking after our bodies. Sometimes they get ill, uh, and, they, and they cause us anxiety. The Bible, in fact, has a lot of things to say about our bodies that, that goes well beyond Psalm 139. And we're going to be thinking about our bodies over the next three weeks, so today and the next couple of weeks, through three lenses. Uh, you'll see I've, I put a pair of trinoculars on the... Um, <clears throat> now, they're not a huge amount of use practically, but um, unless, you've got, unless you've got three eyes. But the reason that I put those on the screen is because there are three big acts in three sort of big scenes in the, in the way the Bible unfolds, the way the story of the Bible is told to us. They're, they're not equal length. Uh, first of all, we learn that we're created good. We're going to be thinking about that in some detail this, this afternoon. Genesis 1 and 2, God made us good. Then Genesis 3 is sort of Act 2 in the grand story, this amazing narrative as the Bible unfolds. It says we're broken by sin. Our bodies are broken by sin. It's a messed up world. And we can feel a great deal of discomfort and anxiety and pain from our bodies. Now, you'll notice that we're two acts in, but we're only three chapters into the Bible. And, and the third act is by far the longest, which is the story of how our bodies are redeemed by the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're given a future, the way in which God undoes all the curse of sin and brings about a perfect future that we don't deserve, but that we will enjoy if we're Christian people. Now, as we go through those three perspectives the three lenses on our bodies, we'll be thinking about a lot of issues. Some of them are very, very personal to us, I imagine. Some of them we might be facing and we might not talk to anyone else. Thinking about um, gender, about body dysmorphia, about our appearance, about our identity. But ultimately, this series is going to take us to the Jesus who, who took on a body like ours so that one day we could have a body like his. And that's our new series that we're going to be starting this afternoon. We're calling it Who Do You Think You Are? 
We're going to start with the first of those in just a second, but first, Kezia is going to come and read to us Genesis chapter 1. You'll find it on page 3 of the Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. Thank you, Kezia. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing which, with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you so much, Kezia. Genesis 1, a famous account of creation. We're going to be thinking about that as we begin our series, the first of the trinoculars, thinking about our created bodies. Do you keep that open in front of you then? Page three, and just as we start, we're going to pray together. If you're a praying person, then please join me. Father God, please help us listen to your word. Please help us hear your voice. Please help us understand how you would love to change us uh, this afternoon. We pray that the things we read in the Bible would point us to Jesus and, and the power of his gospel and say that we would leave today as transformed people. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, there's a friend of a friend that I heard about the other day uh, who is excessively squeamish. Uh, he doesn't want to know anything about what's going on inside his body. And um, so much so that he went to see the doctor um, and uh, he had uh, an issue that affected his, his kidneys. And the doctor just got a blank sheet of paper. He, he was being very careful. And he just drew the outline of a kidney. That was, that was all that he did. Uh, my friend's friend took one look and, and fainted um, and then eventually came round and was sick in the doctor's bin um, just at the, at the site of one of his kidneys. And there's a sense in which um, all of us um, would far rather not think about our bodies and, until something goes wrong. Uh, and then it's, it's a pain, maybe literally, uh, when we face some sort of illness until it starts working again. And we sort of think of our bodies like an old car. We used to have an old Ford Focus that we used to drive around in. And we, and we just wanted it to get us from one place to the next without it breaking down on us. And that's the sort of attitude that we feel about our bodies. It's a bit rusty. It needs a few spare parts. But as long as it keeps going, that's okay. In fact, if, if you're a Christian person like me, I wonder if we can be especially body negative um, for this reason, because we want to be spiritual people. Um, and, and it's in our souls that we relate to God, I think, uh, and where our sins are forgiven, and it's in, it's in our minds that we engage with the God of the Bible and, uh, and, and we say our prayers. And, but then on the other hand, it's our bodies that won't wake up in time for our quiet time and um, run out of energy just before it's time to go to church. Do you find that? So we can be especially body negative if we're Christian people. And how frustrated you feel about your body right now. And, and it might surprise us sometimes, I think, to, to learn that the Bible is, is very positive about our bodies. It's very body positive. Like Christianity, if I can put it like this, is not about escaping our bodies, but, but seeing them made new. 
And all, all that begins with the way that we're made, which is why we're going to think about creation then, and it's going to teach us three things. The first is this, that we are physical people. We are physical people. Have a look down at Genesis 1. This is where it all begins. And, and as you listen to that account that Kezia read out to us, you'll notice that it, it's like a stage design. Um, I think there are sort of three big backdrops on the stage, left, middle, and, and right. Um, light and darkness, sky and water, sea and dry land. And then each one of these sort of panels is, is filled with movement and, um, and filled with life. So then you get the sun and the moon, uh, and you get the fish and the birds, and you get the wild animals and, and, and the livestock. And then there's a pause. All those things are good. You get a pause, and for the first time, God says what he's going to do. It's, um, if I can say this reverently, he's thinking out loud. That comes in um, Genesis 1.26, and, and God says... Let us make mankind in our image. He hasn't done it yet. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind. And there's a, there's a human being center stage in, in, in God's great creation. This is the climax of all that he's made. It's very good. Very good. We're made as a physical creation. You see, it comes back in chapter 2 as we get this sort of action replay from a slightly different angle. Chapter 2, have a look at verse 7. Like a slow motion replay of God making people. Chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Adam doesn't just have a body um, as sort of somewhere for him to live. He, he is a body who God brings to life. Can you see that? We're, I mean, that's who we are. We're bodies plus breath. That's how the Bible defines us. Bodies plus breath. My body is me, in other words. Yeah? Uh, one writer about the Bible um, whose writing I enjoy is Carl Truman. And he puts it this way. He says, see the quote on the screen, I do not occupy my body as I might occupy a house or a spacesuit or a deck chair at the beach. On the contrary, it is an integral part of me. It's inseparable from who I am. God didn't make Adam and then sort of look for a body to put him into. No, he, he began with a body and he, and he brought it to life. Body plus breath. This is who I am. In fact, if that's true, then we, we can't be who we are truly without our bodies. Um, you can see that, for instance, in um, 1, Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. I've just put those words up on the screen. and These are words we're going to come back to. Uh, we're not going to look at all the details now. I just want you to notice one thing, how, how our bodies and we ourselves are interchangeable in what Paul says. So, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies 
are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Um, the words you and your body are used interchangeably to mean the same thing. Um, verse 19, do you, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The, your, your body is a way of talking about you. It's not sort of a dispensable part of you. It's not that your soul or, or your mind is, is the real you. The real you is physical. It's not like um, in, in the film Avatar. Have you seen Avatar? Uh, I've, uh, I've, seen, I've seen both Avatars, actually. Um, uh, in Avatar, you, you, may or you may not know how it works. Um, you can sort of put yourself into a new body. That's, that's one, of the, one of the things you can do. It just happens to be six foot six with blue skin. Um, but the, the Bible's saying something different. Actually, that, the whole of me is me, body and soul. It's not that you can swap out your body and stay the same person. It's important. It has some implications. Let me just mention two very briefly. And by the way, do ask any, any question at the end that you want to. If, if you're sort of putting something into your phone halfway through the sermon, I'll assume that's, that's what you're doing. Um, ask any questions that you want to on Slido, and we'll try and answer them later on. Let, let me just mention two implications of this, that we're physical people. First of all, it, it keeps us grounded in reality. It keeps us grounded as, as people. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a kind of dream that comes from the majority of films that we see. I don't know, maybe, it seems to me like two-thirds of films have this sort of message, that, that, we're, that, that trapped inside of us is the real person that we were meant to be. Maybe it's been suppressed by... Um, things that people have said to us by our education, by our society, by the church, by religion. And, and that we have to find that person in order to be truly authentic. Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you come across that? And, and our, our long-buried dreams, once we've discovered them, have to set the direction for our lives. And, and, and whatever that true self wants and believes has to be right. And, and our ultimate aim is not self-sacrifice, it's, self, it's self-expression. Have you come across that? That's a very sort of common idea, I think. You can be very won over by that. It's very appealing, I think, in lots and lots of ways. But the Bible gives us a different dream. Um, it's grounded in reality, it's focused on God, and it is far more exciting. Far more exciting. And it says, you are the person that you are, body and soul with the things that you do and, and, and the relationships that you have. And so offer your bodies as, as a living sacrifice, as it says in, in the book of Romans, holy and pleasing to God. And there is great joy in denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. That is real fulfillment. It doesn't seem like it on the surface, but try it and you'll find that it's true. We're physical people. It keeps us grounded in reality. And, and it also gives great significance to our physical presence. Um, it's funny to think, isn't it, that three years ago, none of us had heard of Zoom. I mean, it's, it seems almost impossible, doesn't it? 
uh, that it wasn't really a thing back there in 2020. But now it's changed the way we do church. You know, just witness the week of prayer back in, back in February. It is a wonderful thing, but it has its dangers as well. Um, because we're physical people. Being together physically at church is a huge privilege. It's a huge privilege to, to be here physically with each other. There's nothing really that, that substitutes for it. And it's, it's so easy uh, to let that slip sometimes. You know what it's like with visits to your parents and weekends away and, and weddings. We're going to wedding, wedding season. Um, what, one of the reasons that we chose a 4.30 service is that so if people have been away for the weekend, they can come back and, and enjoy church for this at half past four on a, on a Sunday afternoon before the Monday morning hits, you know, in, in the way that it does. It's good to be together physically. Someone I know talks about the spiritual gift of turning up. <laughs> Not a bad word. Some people have got that gift, haven't they? The spiritual gift of turning up. It's a wonderful thing. And it's good to make it our habit to be together in church physically, to be here, sitting here with each other. It's a good thing. Physical presence matters because we're physical people. So our identity is physical, but the Bible doesn't leave it there because the, the creation account mentions another key distinctive about us, again, something that we sometimes find quite hard, particularly in the culture in which we find ourselves, and that's a key distinctive between us, which is being male and female. But there's a physical difference. Back to Genesis 1, and we stopped it. Chapter 1, verse 27. Let me start from there again. Chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. One of the first things we learn about people. Nor is that a one-off idea. So chapter 2, verse 24, for instance. Um, chapter 2, verse 24. This is where... Um, Male and female, uh, which, is, which is not a uniquely human thing, um, now become man and woman, which are uniquely human things. Um, chapter 2, verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife or his woman, and they become one flesh. Man and female become man and woman. Someone who writes about the Bible called Rob Smith has drawn this conclusion. I think it's the right one. This is what he says. Bit of a long quote up on the screen. The clear implication of this move from male and female in Genesis 1 to man and woman in Genesis 2 is that a person's biological sex reveals and determines both their objective gender, what gender in fact they are, and certain key gender roles should they be taken up. This is human males grown to men and human females grown to women. Indeed, it is this set of binary connections that make human marriage possible. Immediately we think of all kinds of objections to that and we'll come back next week to all kinds of difficulties that exist with that. I think we're aware of them. We may be experiencing them ourselves. There are people who are intersex, uh, who don't have bodies that have a clear biological sex. Um, there are people who experience gender dysphoria. Perhaps they're biologically male, but they 
feel female or the other way around. There are all kinds of problems with gender, all kinds of struggles that we face. But, the, but even after the fall in Genesis 5, the Bible restates that we're made male and female. He created the man and female, Genesis 5 verse 2. And in fact, in, in the creation account, the Bible uses a, a, a fascinating word to describe women and men. Um, two words squashed together to make one word. Um, in the original language, and that's the word like in Hebrew and the word opposite. And, and these are squished together into one word, meaning that men and women are like opposite one another. It's interesting, isn't it, that that's the way that it should be expressed. Equally human, equally valuable, equally loved, equally in God's image, but opposite, different. Now, some of us might find it very hard to fit into that. And, and, the, and the Bible actually says very little about the way that gender roles work out. In, in practice, there's a lot of freedom in that, the way we express our masculinity and, and femininity. There's no, there's no mention in the Bible of 1950s housewives, nothing about men doing DIY. You'll be pleased to know. But there is a fundamental distinction. There's a real difference. Two implications of that, briefly. First, that men, men and women are equal, but they're not completely interchangeable. It's easy to think that, that equality must mean being identical. But the Bible challenges that way of thinking. The, the difference between us is what makes being a woman or being a man distinctly glorious. There's something good about that, even though it may sometimes be hard to accept. We can't simply swap a, a woman for a man or a man for a woman as if they're identical shapes or sort of similar machines, there's, there's a real difference. We're opposite one another in some ways. But the second implication is this. There's a real interdependence. Real interdependence. It's not good for man to be alone, says God. Men need women and women need men. In fact, we could, we could say more than that. We could say that women and men need each other to better image God. That's a breathtaking thing. It is part of our image-bearing that is expressed in maleness and femaleness. That's a, that's a breathtaking thing. Light and dark, sky and water, sea and land, man and woman, center stage, like opposite, imaging the God who made them. We have a physical identity, then we have, there's a key physical difference, but we can't leave without noting the value that God places on our physical existence. And that's the third point, our bodies are they're precious. They're so precious. Uh, when I was studying anatomy, we had a, a textbook called Macmillan Hutchings. And there was a verse from the Bible in the introduction uh, on a page all by itself, quote from Psalm 139, saying that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the very verses that I studied for six months when I was at theological college. Let me read that quote in full from Psalm 139. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, the psalmist writes, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Like I say, it's a beautiful poem. Verse 15 
It talks about being made. That's, that's the usual word in the Bible for making things. You know, if you're, uh, I don't know, making a cup of tea, uh, making a casserole for, for dinner. That's a sort of everyday standard word for making things. But the other phrase in verse 15 is far from ordinary. It talks about being woven together. It's a very rare word in the original, being woven together. And there's only really one other place in the Old Testament where that word is used. And it's used of making the curtain in the tabernacle, uh, which is woven together from blue and purple and scarlet yarn at the entrance to the tabernacle. And some, some people think the imagery is um, a bit like that sort of blue, purple, and, and red blood vessels being woven together in the human body. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Your body is fearfully, wonderfully made, created by an artist. Who would want to harm it? Wikipedia lists some works of art that have been damaged in accidents uh, over the last um, 30 years or so. Uh, in 2010, it says, a woman taking an adult education class fell through a painting by Picasso called The Artist, valued at $130 million. Um, in 2006, a man descending a flight of stairs tripped over his shoelace at the Cambridge Fitzwilliam Museum and broke three 17th century Chinese vases. Um, in 2000, apparently, according to the Wikipedia article, workers at Sotheby's put a cardboard box in a crushing machine, not realizing that inside was an oil painting by Lucian Freud. Who would want to harm a work of art? Well, sometimes people do. People like us. It's just a bundle of cells, sometimes people say. Isn't that true? In fact, the Bible heaps even, even more significance on the, on the human body than Psalm 139 can. And that's when it says that, that Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Became flesh. He didn't just take on a body as if it was some sort of vehicle to carry him around like an old car. He became a body. Yeah, God, God became physical. Jesus became an embryo in the womb, a toddler, a teenager, a savior. Jesus, says somebody, Jesus becoming a physical person was the highest compliment the human body has ever been paid. Jesus took his body to the cross and he ascended with his body to heaven. He is permanently physical. There's now a human body sitting at the right hand of God the Father at the very center of heaven. Our bodies are that precious. Two implications just as we finish. And please do send in questions if you want to. I know we've covered a lot of ground, but I have to say this before we finish. Firstly, let's pray that we'd see our bodies as a gift. As a gift. It's hard, I know, and, and next week we'll be thinking more about why, but our bodies are intrinsically good, not bad. And it doesn't 
Our bodies don't need to be abandoned or ignored or exchanged for an avatar in the metaverse. They, they need to be redeemed. <laughs> Our bodies aren't all that they will be, but they are a gift to be enjoyed. Let's pray that we'd see our bodies as a gift and let's pray that we care for our bodies as precious, not something to be flogged with energy drinks and paracetamol to get us through another day, you know, but, but accepting our body's limits. It's okay. We're physical people. Getting good rest, sleeping when we can. Going to the doctor when we need to is an act of worship. So different, isn't it? Because the Bible is body positive. Our bodies are us. We're created male and female we've been given our bodies as a gift and C.S. Lewis in an excellent article sums it up like this Christianity thoroughly approves of the body we, we don't want to we, we can't escape our bodies so we're to give thanks for them and wait for them to be made new shall we pray let's pray Father God, thank you that our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you that Jesus dignifies our body as he takes on flesh. So I pray, Father, whatever our struggles, how that we bring them to you, I pray we'd see our bodies as a gift from you. I pray we'd wait, wait patiently for our bodies to be redeemed. Please help us see our bodies through the lens that you provide, the lens of your revealed word. And so I pray, Father, uh, that you give us a, uh, a respect for our bodies, an appreciation of our bodies, a desire to care for our bodies, and a commitment to give our bodies in service to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.